0: Hello, and welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and this is episode number 62, Future Jobs and the Skills Needed to Get Them. Thank you so much for joining me on E2E podcast today. If you are listening to this, I hope that you are signed up for the E2E New Year Reboot Conference. We are getting ready to announce all of the presenters and presentations. This lineup is incredible. It is such a diverse group of teachers. We are focusing on how you can finish the school year strong. There are over 70 presentations. We have surprises throughout the entire weekend that are gonna be super fun. The conference is free. Yes, I said it free. Thanks to our generous sponsors at eSpark Learning and Hand to Mind. And the conference is online, it's virtual, so you don't have to get on a plane, you don't have to drive anywhere, you don't have to pay for a hotel. You literally can wear your pajamas and watch the conference from anywhere in the world. So if you are not registered, head over to educators2educators.com to get your seat today. Before I get started today, I wanna do a review spotlight. I haven't done one of these in a while, so I wanna highlight a recent review from lift up leaders it says relevant support for teachers five stars just listen to episode number 28 about dealing with competitive teachers and had to post a review we can find lots of PD on math strategies and improving reading fluency though finding relevant support to help us deal with the day-to-day issues we face in our district is more challenging thank you for the tips For navigating those tricky situations and difficult conversations thank you so much lift up leaders for leaving that review i have said it time and time again on this podcast that when you leave a review a positive review like that or you rate the podcast five stars it really fuels my fire in so many ways it reinforces the kind of content that you all like to hear on this podcast And it really gets me motivated to get in there and edit these podcasts and and make them the best that they can be. So thank you for taking the time to do that. I would love if you took a quick moment, moment. If you only have 30 seconds, just hit subscribe on the podcast and download a few episodes. Or if you do have a few more minutes, give the podcast five stars if you feel like it deserves it. And of course, a review, as I said, always really makes me smile. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Edward C on the podcast and we're talking about future jobs for today's children and what it's going to take to get those jobs. And it got me really thinking about myself as a student and who I was growing up. I definitely would have flourished so much more as a child and a teenager and even in high school had I grown up in the type of classrooms we're setting up for our children today. I think that, especially when I was going to middle school and high school, I pretty much sat in my desk every period and had someone lecture at me and fill in, you know, closed worksheets. Like I was just a consumer of just lots of information and a lot of talking. And while I had some really dynamic and amazing teachers, I struggled in high school and I even struggled through college in a lot of ways. I really hit my stride when I was in grad school. And thinking back to it, I am the type of learner that wants to be a problem solver. Like we have a joke in my house with my husband and kids that I'm the problem solver. Like if we're in a a jam or something happens, like I love thinking through problems from different angles and how are we going to fix things. And I wasn't really given the opportunity to do that much in middle school and high school because mostly we were reading text, talking about it and writing papers or taking tests. And um, today, the way that teachers who are really innovative are setting up classrooms with group projects and solving problems and asking questions, I'm jealous of those kids. (laughs) Um, But I just want to commend Dr. Edward C. on his passion for the topic of making education fun. So we're going to go ahead and get started with this interview today. I have a feeling a lot of listeners are going to be shaking their heads in their car while they're listening to this or wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started with our interview with Dr. Edward C. Dr. Edward C.'s passion is using research to make education fun. He holds over 50 utility and design patent filings and is the primary inventor of the first multi-touch table product for education, the Smart Table. He uses research to apply emerging technology trends to education so teachers can spend more time connecting with students and less time on content delivery. There are so many opinions about education on the web, Dr. Edward C. believes that first-hand experiences are the best way to learn about education. He seeks a broad range of opinions from around the world, and his Vlog recognizes the impact of video on education. Thought leaders share stories about collaboration in the classroom, how they encourage critical thinking skills, and help students harness their creative potential. His channel was awarded the 2018 Global EdTech Leader from The Advocate. As VP of Strategy and Content at Tech, Dr. C focuses on making it easy for teachers to engage in active learning and enabling creative expression using lightweight tools on mobile devices. Dr. Edward C, welcome to Educators to Educators podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: We are so excited to have you. You have so many amazing life experiences, and I really love to have guests that are on the podcast that are really embedded in the world of ed tech and education and are really thinking about the future of our students. So today's topic, we are going to be talking about future jobs and the skills needed to get them. Now, I hear all the time from teachers, hey, there's all these changes always coming um, to us in the classroom, right? Things are always changing, we're rethinking the way we're teaching, we're thinking about collaboration, we're thinking about critical thinking. And sometimes teachers say they take a step back and they know the why of why they're doing this, but at the same time, they can't always see how this connects to future jobs. And so I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk to us about what is going, out there in, going on out there in the working world and the future jobs that our students are going to be filling. So as you all know, we always talk about one overarching theme on educators to educators and then drill down into three kind of subtopics. So today we're going to talk about the fourth industrial revolution, 60 21st century skills and what works in education. So let's get started talking about the fourth industrial revolution. What is that exactly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it really boils down to, there are large organizations such as the World Economic Forum or the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, that are looking at global trends in jobs, in employment. And the information that they are finding is just fascinating. Uh, They are saying that, you know, if you look at the skills that are needed to perform a job, even if schools taught everything that people needed for a job, 100% today, within by 2022, so basically two, three years from now, the skills needed for those jobs will have shifted by 42%. So we're missing already 42% of all of the skills that are needed uh, for jobs today. And this this kind of trend is related to what's happening in the fourth industrial revolution. Um, but just think about like the, the, the scale of it, right? So um, of those 42%, like 50, that, it means that over 54% of existing employees around the world are going to require some significant upskilling or retraining in order to be ready for future jobs. Um, They said that 36% are going to require up to six months of training, 9% require six to 12 months of upskilling, and 10% require more than a year of upskilling. Um, And so... The, this this is really tricky because the reality is that you know a lot of the at-risk uh, employees like only eight percent of at-risk employees are likely to obtain retraining, uh, and this is because the, a lot of employers are twice as likely to hire new staff with the skills that, are, that have the skills already than retrain existing employees, and so it's it's all the more reason why we need to be teaching the, the right kinds of skills in school. And what's driving this is the, the, like, as you mentioned, the fourth industrial revolution. So uh, what, are, what, what are they, right? Like the first industrial revolution, we're talking about using steam and to mechanize condu- uh, production. We're, in the second industrial revolution, we're talking about the use of electricity to automate or to mass produce uh, products. In the third industrial revolution, we're really talking about using electronics and software to automate some aspects of production. Uh, finally, in the the fourth industrial revolution, and this is the phase that we're really in right now, is just this notion of unlimited storage and computing power that is being used to disrupt industries in a in a, at a pace that we have never seen in the past. Uh, the The common examples are examples from something called the sharing economy. Um, so if you consider large, like for example, the biggest accommodation provider, Airbnb, doesn't own any hotel rooms and in the same way the the biggest transportation provider, Uber, uh, isn't owning a fleet of vehicles. And what this means is that people um, and industry is moving towards where the data is, and the data is shifting the power from traditional industries back into the hands of the consumer and back into these companies that are involved in the fourth industrial revolution.
0: Now, would you say that even educators to educators would be part of that movement in a way, like some of these conferences that we're we're putting on? Would you say that even fits into the fourth industrial revolution in some ways?
1: Oh, for sure. This is kind of what I mentioned about those skills that we're changing um, and the need for upskilling. Uh, Essentially, the biggest challenge that we have, especially in the education space, is that many of the skills that we are teaching are no longer relevant. In a world where you can Google everything, how important is it for you to memorize certain facts? Um, In fact, in the... uh, I think it was in Kathy Davison's book, The New Education, she says that we're going to see more change in the field of education in the next five, ten years than we've seen in the last hundred. Because in the previous uh, era when we had to change education because work was changing because of those industrial revolutions. Well, in the same way, work is changing. We're, we're in a new phase. And so the skills that people need are going to be very different from the skills that we are currently training in schools. So educators have a direct role in this space.
0: Do you think that, um, how do you think this is going to impact teacher training programs? Have you thought about that at all? Do you think that universities and colleges and the way that we're preparing teachers is going to change? I mean, this is an obvious connection to classrooms, which we'll get there, but what even about teacher training do you think is going to change?
1: Mm, That's a really great question. I think that increasingly, uh, there's a couple trends with respect to training in general uh, for adults. And and that's this move towards a lot more um, kind of online uh, type of learning sources we're seeing a lot of trends where people are moving towards the the use of social media, the use of online courses, the use of the engagement that people have in certain groups, like um, ed chat groups, for example, uh, or it could be some online media, for example, um, like watching YouTube videos. We're seeing that that is increasingly where a lot of, there's this notion of, it's micro learning. Right, So rather than doing the traditional route of going and getting a degree or maybe getting a bigger certificate, people are doing this just-in-time learning trend. Teachers don't have the the same kind of time to go and do a big, long course. They, They need something. They need quick PD. They need something that they can in and out and learn the things that they need. And so as a result, we are starting to see a big trend as well in the uh, educational influencers, uh, people writing books, writing podcasts, like even the stuff that you're doing here. Uh, it's its a very con- convenient source. Like people can come in, they can watch a certain amount of time, like half an hour, and then learn a lot more uh, about skills that they, they need in their profession.
0: So fascinating. Uh, I can't wait to see just where things go, like you said, in the next even three to four years. So let's talk about what skills, you know, do we need? What are these 21st century skills? I remember we started talking about these right at the end of before I left the classroom, really started talking about these Cs. So so talk to us about those 21st century skills that we're going to need our students to have in the future job market.
1: Sure. I think if you see a lot of the the trends right now um, in education, one of the, the key aspects is that the skills like a lot of jobs are being replaced so about 75 over by 2022 75 million jobs will be lost to automation and outsourcing and digitization this is just a trend that's happening but At the same time, 135 million jobs across the world, according to the World Economic Forum, are going to be gained in people working with machines and algorithms. And so why we have these 21st century skills is really to understand this world of working with machines and algorithms. It turns out computers are not good at certain things. So, uh, for example, critical thinking. The computer doesn't actually know if this is good or this is bad. And so a number of esteemed organizations, including the OECD and the P21, came up with a list of skills and they made it really easy to remember with four Cs. Uh, But it's been later expanded to six Cs by the researchers at Education Plus to capture some of the life skills and attitudes that are commonly needed. Uh, So I'll I'll list them out here. Uh, They're creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, communication, Character and citizenship. So the two new ones are character and citizenship. Now, all of these are aspects that, let's be honest, computers aren't great at. You know, one of the reasons why we have fake news and one of the reasons why, you know, we have this just hyper-partisan news appearing is because computers are not good at critical thinking. People are good at critical thinking. Uh, People want to follow the creativity of others. Computers have a hard time being creative. Uh, and then when it comes to us being citizens of the of the globe, you know increasingly we have to worry about things like the environment. So citizenship is a is a big factor, not just uh, in your own space but also online as well. And with the increasing fluctuations in the job market, people are switching from job to job to job. And you know that is requiring a strong, a strong amount. Of uh, willpower, character, resilience, and grit. And these are the kinds of skills that are increasingly needed when you're you have to expect that you're going to fail. If you're going to disrupt uh, new industries, you're going to do a lot of experiments, and you're gonna you're gonna fail. We need these skills, uh, and so that's been a lot of our focus has been thinking about what are those creative skills that we can build? How can we build uh, critical thinking, collaboration and communication? And it isn't just a matter of, you know, really just saying, okay, these are important, and then moving forward, like, no, we have to start thinking about our curriculum. We have to look at recommendations, for example, from the OECD of what can we do to build content that specifically targets these skills to make it easy for a teacher to teach them. Um, I know ISTE, for example, has some standards specifically about these types of 21st century skills, which is great. But I think we need we need curriculum. We need it built into the curriculum.
0: I love what you were saying about failing. I think we are talking a lot about failing in education, and I love. Um, that we are. I was recently in Dublin, Ireland, and I visited Trinity College with my nine-year-old, 11-year-old and my Mm. husband. And there's a statue there called failing better. Mm. And it basically, the gist of it is we've got to learn how to fail better because if we don't fail, we're not pushing the limits and we're not getting better at it. Right. And so we, especially, I think at this time, have to be okay with failing and taking those risks more than ever. And I think that's hard for kids. It's hard for kids to fail mm-hmm. and feel that feeling.
1: You know, it, it's hard for teachers too. I remember speaking yes. to some, some teachers who said that this is the, some of the most difficult things about technology is that in every other aspect of education, they are the expert. They're the ones who know it all right and they're the ones who are kind of the, the thought leaders in the in the pedagogy in the curriculum in the content side but when it comes to technology they're a lot of times they're the learner and so i think that having this culture where people feel comfortable failing is so critical because if i as a child am already kind of hesitant about failing and i see that my teacher is also hesitant to you know try say, uh, a new technology, because they might fail at it. Um, We need to celebrate failure, right? I mean, if we are frustrated and we are... If we're frustrated and we're kind of struggling with the material, this is good. We need to celebrate that because that means that we're learning and we're pushing our boundaries. Uh, A lot of times we just stick with what is comfortable. And I think that that is the, the thing that really holds us back is this comfort, this need to be comfortable, the need to be, Oh yeah, I know how to do this. It's like, no, you won't, especially in the fourth industrial revolution. Um, even Gary Vaynerchuk would say like, nobody knows anything anymore. Like the industries are changing so rapidly. All the stuff that we knew yes. before is is going to be irrelevant. So we need to start thinking about how do we build up that level of resilience where failure is just part of the process and, you, and you, you embrace failure, you celebrate, you write down a... I've talked about to some teachers who they have a, a board of the failures. They, they celebrate them. And I think that there aren't enough teachers who are, are, are kind of in that mode of like failure is good, you know, and we need to encourage students to fail. And I, I think that that's, it's one of the biggest challenges actually isn't necessarily from the, the student side. But it's also from the teacher side.
0: Well, look at teacher social media, <laughs> right? Let's just even—I'm mostly embedded in Instagram with educators. Educators, you see influencers who are saying, "Hey, let's start showing our hard, messy days. <laughs> let's start showing things that went wrong. We can't only post all the perfect teacher moments <laughs> on here because we're we're putting pressure on other teachers. And to your point, we need to be celebrating those failures." in a positive way
1: yeah people think that if i share a failure people are going to judge me they're going to think poorly about me but the reality is people are going to think that you're more authentic they're going to believe what you say a lot more and so when you build this pattern of being really authentic in there i mean in instagram it's pretty easy to be Fake, you know, it's pretty easy to show the best. Like I, you know, I hate the the one the you know the corporate like um, marketing presentations where you have this like perfect classroom and nothing's dirty and I'm like this is not a real classroom. I mean, where's like <laughs> yeah. show me a classroom that's actually like that in reality. And I feel that you right. can tell people can can read. People are really good at reading authenticity. And this is why among the Gen Z demographic, so many of them, like the, the traditional celebrities that are all perfect, are, are kind of disappearing. And it's, it's really the social media influencers who are being authentic. They're being raw. They're being imperfect. That, that's what people desire because that's a real – that feels more real. Um, it's the same trouble that we have uh, – that I have watching DC movies – You know, I watch a DC movie and every character there is a superhero and they're invulnerable. That's not real. That I can't associate that with that at all. Um, Sometimes when I watch a Marvel movie and I see them struggling, I'm like, I can understand that struggle. I can associate with that. People connect with the struggles that they're going through.
0: Totally. And I think it's important that we show some of those vulnerabilities as educators to our students. It actually even makes me think about the arts. I have a music Mm. degree. And my children are involved in the arts, and they're also involved in sports. And I'm looking at these six Cs, and I'm thinking those, even in extracurricular activities, all of these things are part of that, right? Through the arts, showing vulnerability, having resilience and character, being able to communicate um, through sports, you have to be a critical thinker. And I think one of the things is that we have to start weaving these into everything kids are doing because you can take lessons from the football field and relate them to your
1: future job so much so and and this is the the ultimate challenge that i'm seeing is that we have to take a lot of those benefits that are extracurricular and we have to put them into the curriculum and we need to like some countries like japan are throwing away half of their curriculum simply because there isn't enough creativity in them. Everybody's just memorizing for tests. What is going on? We don't need that skill anymore. Let's start training people on how to be more creative. And I think we need to seriously look at curriculum as this is a problem. You know, we are teaching a lot of things that aren't going to be that useful. Um, And so I do think that this is the challenge is like not every student has the advantage that they can go in and be part of these extracurricular activities. And I think that more and more so uh, as we drive a little bit more into inquiry, into kind of flip base models, uh, flipped classroom models, and into kind of blended learning, we're going to start to see a lot more creativity in the classroom, we're going to start to see a lot more personal initiative, where the goal, I think, increasingly for the educator, becomes less about content delivery, because let's be honest, they can look it up, you know, they can, they can find a video to learn that yeah. stuff.
0: They can ask Alexa. They can
1: ask Alexa, exactly. <laughs> but the challenge becomes motivation, right? And so the primary purpose then for instruction is really to inspire them to learn more on their own. And if you can get that level of, ins- that, that spark, that inspiration, they'll be fine they'll they'll pick up everything on their own and i think that's the really difficult part is when we kind of drone and we kind of say that oh we have to cover all of these pages of the textbook i think that's when we really get into the yeah. mode of like uh, what you're not really interested in that either you know and so why would i be and i think this is the this is the biggest challenge for a lot of students they they see the, the material and they're like when am i ever going to use this in my real life. And it's a legit question. If we don't have good answers, maybe we shouldn't be putting it into the curriculum.
0: Well, and it's, if you think about different types of learners, right, let's say I, I I taught for 10 years, but I'm going to use my own two kids as an example, because I know them the best, but let's say we were going to teach, um, about the civil war to Mm -hmm. both of my kids. One of my kids would want to know the timelines he would want to know about the strategy he would want to know about like the weapons my other child is more interested into relationships right how did they relate to each other what were they feeling what are the stories that came out of there you know and so I think in a lot of ways when I was growing up we were teaching more for Mm -hmm. my son What are the timelines? What are the facts? What's the black and white? And I'm built more like my daughter. I wanted to know the stories and the relationships and the empathy and all of that stuff, right? And so I do feel like we are making a shift. We made this shift kind of with the multiple intelligences. I'm wondering if these six C's and I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but I wonder if with incorporating these six C's, we're even going to see more of like a whole look at learning. Mm Like, is it going to kind of push us over the edge where we can no longer just teach the facts and hope that the kids with a great memory catch on to everything and do well on the test? It's just
1: not going to work anymore. I I think what we're really seeing is that increase in student agency. Uh, And with this trend, it really boils down to, like, when it comes to differentiated instruction, students have a big role to play in the approaches that they use to find and get that information. And so the more options that are available where you you focus on kind of inspiring them at the beginning and then they can find their own method if they're really interested in facts they dive down on those facts if they're really interested in stories they will actually do some storytelling like to me i think stories are a powerful motivator we are wired to remember stories if i told you a story of Mm -hmm. um, something that happened in the 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 civil war you're going to remember that if i told you a bunch of facts. Our, our brains, like, we don't, we, we're not as wired to remember those kind of things. And so really, it's a good way of changing people's attitudes around learning, like, maybe they still need to learn the facts, but changing their attitudes around the material. Um, storytelling is a powerful, powerful way to do that.
0: So let's talk about you know what's working right now and kind of where we're going so how can teachers use the technology that they have um you know while keeping students on track and improving because frankly they're going to have to take these tests and they're going to have to make the grades so how can we use teachers use the technology that they currently have um to kind of move into this new new future for our students
1: so i feel that that Technology, especially the natural user interface, basically this is like touchscreens similar to what's on your phone, are having a huge impact on education in that they are enabling people to be creative at much younger ages. They're just democratizing creativity. You can do things now with your phone and your camera that used to require like a huge production studio. I mean, that level of access to uh, creative tools that used to be only accessible to professionals is changing how easy it is to, to get into that. And But that said, you know, technology is a bit tricky, right? Because there's a lot of like technology that is kind of, I've heard of gimmicky. Right? So sometimes it has some novelty, but it wears off. And so how do you know like, what's going to actually improve grades, what's going to make them more engaged in class, and what's going to help them like, finish the courses more? Well, it turns out um, with the, what Works, the, department, the U.S. Department of Education, What Works Clearinghouse, they have a number, they've done a meta-analysis of many research studies, and they specifically look at research studies that were repeatable, that is, it's not just one study, because you know one study, we, I don't know if we can trust it, You know, like what about the methodology? So you have people who are looking at the methodology, yeah. they're looking at the repeatability of the results, they're looking at statistical significance. And what they're showing is three or four techniques that basically say, hey, we should use these techniques because there are multiple studies that show better grades, um, they improve engagement and they improve course completion. And so uh, if you look at a lot, a lot of these techniques, and I have a lot of these details in my uh, white paper, um, which I can point you you can go to the newitech.com website and we'll be able to access the white paper. Um, but it really, Perfect. some of them are things like increasing engagement. So uh, the examples are like microblogging, um, using more digital resources to do like a blended learning type style man, there's like six studies that show improved grades, you know, for that. Like, this is this is repeatable, you know, we know. Um, and so people have more persistence through the course, you know, when you do that. Um, self-regulated learning, so automated systems that kind of evaluate and, and let people know that, uh, that what they did right and what they did wrong, that kind of uh, feedback is so important. Uh, it does improve grades as well. And so I see it as If you look at all of these techniques, what's common about them is that, first of all, step number one is the teacher has to set the expectation of how the technology is going to be used. This is the thing. Technology is just a tool. And if you don't set clear rules and expectations of how it's going to be used, it's going to get abused. That's just the nature of technology. Then after it's used, then it needs to be done... Typically, it's used for some type of reflection. So if it's like straight-up content delivery, I mean, there's lots of ways to do that, but you need to have some critical thinking in there. You need to have some deeper level thoughts uh, in order for the the content to stick. Like, our brains are very efficient. We are wired to forget things that aren't important. So if you don't need to recall the information, or if you're not going to use the information, then we're going to lose it. So use it or lose it. And then at the end, there's almost always a evaluation phase of what worked. Like, did this work? Did this practice really work? Do we need to change something on it so that the practice is modified? And I think those guides of using technology uh, are very, very important for any teacher using it. Um, I know, like, technology often, you know, gets the blame. It's like, oh, we're spending all this money on, uh, you know, tech, and we're not spending it on, you know, uh, teachers and, and investing in content, but it's just a tool. And it can be used in in powerful ways that can really transform the learning. Uh, and it can also be used as like a PowerPoint presentation. And we all know PowerPoint presentations are not fun.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> they are not. Um, well, this is really encouraging. It's very exciting work. I'm so glad that you were able to share all of this with us today. I feel like I hear so many presentations and so many experts on different things. And uh, you really enlightened me today and taught me a couple of really important things that I think I can pass on beyond Mm -hmm. just even this podcast. But if teachers want to learn more, can you tell them once again where they can find that white paper if they'd like to read it? And I'll also link it in the show notes.
1: There's a few ways to get in contact with me. So I have a Twitter account. Um, It's at Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-E-T and uh, i also have a lot of um blogs that are available at teq.com and you can visit that stuff there and i the one thing i wanted to add is that you'll you'll see a lot of opinions um and to me i have i've always felt like yeah there are really great opinions but it's really only when you start to see the studies the results and they're repeated that you really start to believe so I'd I'd say, like, take opinions with a grain of salt, but take, like, repeated opinions and take, you know, the repeated studies seriously because those are the ways that really do impact uh, education and they will work in your class.
0: what a wonderful way to end this podcast thank you so much for all of your time and sharing your amazing thinking with all of us today
1: thank you i really appreciate the opportunity
0: that's a wrap on this week's podcast next week we will be talking to ashley bible from keeping the water ashley's going to tell us our her story from Sponsoring educators to educators.